Hey friends, welcome to the Living Truth Podcast. I'm really eager to dive into part two of a fabulous conversation with therapist and incredible researcher, Hope Ray, who is unpacking the concept of betrayal violence. And Hope, thank you for joining me again. I would love for you to recap from the last episode. What is betrayal violence? Betrayal violence is a form of conduct wherein somebody does three things all at the same time. The first thing is they maintain a relationship with their significant other, while number two, secretly and repeatedly violating fidelity, while number three, using deception, persuasion, and exploitation to conceal this information from their partner, to disable the partner from being able to accurately assess what's going on in the relationship. And it's all about avoiding the consequences. Wow. As you've explained this concept to partners and to addicts, what has been the reception of like your clients and the people that you're teaching this to? How are people metabolizing and utilizing this information for their own healing and change? Well, with the majority of my clients, we have, you know, a cis het dynamic where there's a woman who's been betrayed, married or partnered to a man who's done the betraying, who's had a secret sex life, uh, or perhaps they identify as a sex addict. And the idea is that um, women who have been betrayed find this to be clarifying, find this to be relieving, to acknowledge the abuse, put words and frames around the the finer details. They find it to be hopeful to understand that there's really two things when we distill it down, two things that need to be addressed if the relationship is going to heal. One is whatever problematic sexual behavior is going on. And recovery is a way that we often target that. But that alone wouldn't be enough to restore the relationship. The other piece, and this is where women find betrayal violence language to be helpful, is the idea of the rehabilitation, the skill building, uh, the awareness and the willingness to address the abusive behavior, the communication style of persuasion, exploiting the partner, deceiving the partner. Those things don't often fall away just because somebody gets into what we call sobriety or they're no longer cheating. And so oftentimes couples who are rebuilding their relationships get stuck along the journey because even though he's not acting out, we call it, or or he's in full-blown sobriety and doing really well and making changes and increasing integrity, at the same time, there's still trust issues. And that often has to do with the man not understanding and being able to acknowledge the aspects of his abusive behavior. Now, betrayal or cheating isn't necessarily the abusive behavior. It's the source of the pain. It's an abuse of the contract, a breach of the trust. It's, I'm not going to make anything light about the idea of cheating, but it's when you add the lies and deception, the persuasion, the, we call it gaslighting, right? All of these things, the subterfuge, when you add that on top of those behaviors, now what we have is an abusive setup where somebody maintains power and control over their partner's reality. And this is how many partners for years don't know the full picture of what's going on. And so the the thing that causes so much harm is that they continue contributing to the relationship 
developing bonding and uh, you know giving wholeheartedly to their partner, helping them build their careers, having children with their partner, supporting them um, because they don't know the whole of the unsafe context underneath it all. And so when they finally learn, and I call that reality collapse, when they finally learn the depth and breadth of the endangerment they faced along all, all these years with their partner, that's when they start to say, I can't believe how deep this betrayal feels and how deep it runs. It's so completely traumatic and disorienting. Yeah. Which leads me to the question about complex partner trauma. I remember when I was looking for resources back in the day when there wasn't a lot out there, finding a video of yours with an onion. Do you know what I'm talking about? The layers yeah. of the onion, do you still use that graphic? I, you know, that was my first stab at uh, this, this theoretical approach that I've since refined, but it's still valuable. And a lot of people like that little onion. So I do mention it in my uh, new publication, but it is, it's no longer the, the, the backbone. Uh, the backbone is a little more hardy now and a little more research-based, but I love the, I mean, I can tell, yeah. I want to hear your backbone of complex partner trauma. I mean, I just, I loved what you had developed back then, but tell me more now. Sure. Should I start with the onion? Sure. Whatever you want. The onion idea, it, it still applies. And the idea is that when somebody is victimized in this way, they have what's called the core of betrayal. That's the center of the onion. That's where all the painful emotions and unbelievable uh, trauma of being betrayed and cheated on, lied to, all of that happens. But because of all the lies and the subterfuge, there's a second layer that develops called reality collapse. And the reality collapse is essentially when we get to a place where we have enough information, sufficient understanding of the the ways uh, that the serious level of of deceit and um, corruption that there was in our relationship. And so our reality falls to the floor and feels completely uh, overturned. And as a result of that, then the third layer is it affects everything, including every single one of our relationships, whether it's with our adult children or our little children. Of course, our relationship with our partners impacted the way we see the world, the way we see beautiful women walking around at the grocery store. This all becomes impacted. And so we are in a relationship disrepair. There are people in our family who don't know what's going on. There are people who might be telling us what we should do about it. Uh, Relationship disrepair then gives way to a fourth layer, which is uh, an altered life state. Given all that's underneath already happening, we are not living, walking around on this earth in the same way we were before the collapse happened. Uh, We might have physical symptoms, physical medical issues. We have a new worldview that's been shaped by the trauma. We might be doing things that are not within our normal character or forgetting things or having all sorts of symptoms. And then the fifth layer then is this idea of self-betrayal. Given all that we're experiencing, there can be times where we are faced with such acute pain that we'll reach for whatever is handy to assist us in moving through. And not all the time do these things serve our healing uh, and sometimes can complicate things further. These are reasonable, understandable grabs uh, but the idea of self-betrayal is where, you know, we might want revenge and therefore act in a way that falls back on us poorly later on, um, or we may do things that uh, just 
aren't helpful, you know, over drinking, um, overeating, doing things that really are making us feel worse than we already feel. So that's the onion. And that's great. That's, that's just kind of the typical experience that a lot of partners have. But the idea of complex partner trauma, as far as phases go, there's really four phases. And the first phase is endangerment. This is where somebody has been subjected to betrayal violence and they, they know maybe nothing or very little about it. So essentially their um, reality has been withheld from them and they can't accurately assess their safety and their well-being. They're in a position of endangerment because of their partner's behaviors in secret and their lies to cover it up. So endangerment then gives way to the second phase, which is endangerment awareness. And this can last a long time. This is where enough little tidbits come out here or there. There's some discoveries, maybe even some confessions. Uh, sometimes women get calls from other people who are involved or no information. And this is where endangerment awareness grows, and so does the stress and trauma. All of that culminates then eventually into a third layer or the, a third phase called reality collapse. And reality collapse is the idea that you have sufficient information, like I mentioned before, to understand the seriousness of, of your endangerment. In other words, you may not know everything. You may still have a partner who's lying to you, but you have enough information and some, something shifts inside of you to know how serious and how big it is. When people go through reality collapse, they describe it with physical sensations. Things like, that was the day my heart literally broke and I felt it breaking. That was the day my brain stopped working or it cracked in half. That was the day I had a panic attack and ever since then I've been having them. So reality collapse is all consuming and here's the good news about that. And I mean this, reality collapse is essential for healing. When we get to that place, even though it's the climax of pain and exhaustion, it's also the place where we have the information we need to understand the endangerment we faced all along. Once we understand that, we can make healthy decisions for ourselves around our safety. We can get curious about what it is that we need to do in order to get more safe, um, to ground ourselves and to, to find you know, the resources that we need. The fourth phase then is reality acclimation. And this is where we go through what I call reflexive calibrating. It, um, and retroactive processing. These are terms used to describe what it's like to go back through your memory bank in light of the new information you have and to be able to process how things really were uh, given what your perception was at the time in accordance with your new knowledge of the truth. And it's a painful process, but also part of your brain doing a really good job to get to clarity and to help you reclaim your life. So once somebody's in a reality collapse and they're moving into reality acclimation, as painful as it is, as ground zero as it feels, it's actually a sign, a, a marking point of healing. And so I want people to know that, that this is where the healing uh, really, really starts to launch. Mm, that is so hopeful because I know there are people listening right now that are in that deep, dark pit of betrayal. And they're wondering, is there ever any hope that my life could be 
like based on truth and good again. And so I love that hope that you're giving our listeners, um, which is ironic that your name is hope, right? That's like my, (laughs) my phrase that I say to women is I'm holding out hope for you. So now I'll never think of that phrase again after doing this interview with you, hope. Um, Yeah. So, okay. Now I think it's really important, especially as people think about about sharing a resource like this podcast with the people helpers in their life. For example, maybe they have a therapist or a a priest or a pastor or friends who are wanting to come around and, and, and support them. But just for our listeners to know, therapists and clergy do not get training in any of this betrayal violence, uh, partner trauma, unless they go to specific training outside of their like seminary or their grad school. And that's shocking for a lot of people to hear. You would expect if I go to a therapist, if I go to my pastor, they're going to be able to help me with so common a problem as a sexual integrity issue in my marriage, right? But it's not the case. So I want to encourage you guys, if you're listening to this, to to share this episode with your clergy or your therapist and consider until they get further training, perhaps consider not getting advice from them on how to heal from this issue. Because as you can hear, Hope knows what she's talking about. There are therapists out there you can find that are deeply Uh, trained and or have done research in this area and can help you. But I think, Hope, what you're describing can be so helpful um, for our churches and for therapists to gain more insight and understanding of what is really happening after infidelity and how to best support the partner. So how do you think some of these concepts that you've developed could inform therapists and people helpers, clergy and whatnot to come alongside a partner in their betrayal trauma? Yeah, it's a great question. Essentially, the terms betrayal violence, complex partner trauma, and all the language and terminology embedded within the theory here is not necessarily new information. I believe it to be groundbreaking because of the way that it's been packaged. But there's many different fields within psychology that are already targeting different pieces of this. You have domestic violence research, you have um, infidelity and betrayal, healthy sexuality, there's the sex addiction uh, trainings that, that some therapists have. So all of these things really do relate to betrayal violence and in, uh, interface with it, but we haven't really had this unifying vocabulary. And that's what my goal has been is to provide that for people. And I, I, you know, my face is attached to it for right now because I want the world to know about it. And so I'm carrying the message, but ultimately I want this to be language that is, you know, public domain. I want you to be able to sing this and not get in trouble like you sing Oh Holy Night. And, you know, the idea is let's get this into into the rubric of of society, into the understanding. Yeah. Yeah. So how does this help? Well, it it provides terms that I believe can be very unifying. And there are plenty of amazing therapeutic programs out there, uh, networks like you guys have with men in the battle, women in the battle. I mean, these things are all 
essentially targeting this stuff. But now that we could maybe put some more clarity or frames around the actual conduct that's being targeted, it it just takes things deeper, faster. And you know, one thing I didn't mention earlier is that not only do partners find this information to be helpful, uh, but the people that are causing the betrayal find this information to be really palatable. Violence is a strong word. Nobody wants to be told they're being violent, especially if they assume violence means physical abuse, which it doesn't. We need a more thorough understanding of violence if we're thinking that. But the people who have caused betrayal really like this terminology because it puts words to what it is their partner has been trying to communicate to them all along. And it, it clarifies, organizes it, and then gives them this idea that, hey, I can address these things. I can inverse my maladaptive character traits. I can uh, do rehabilitation for deception and persuasion and exploitation. Like now I know what I can do to cover that part, not just to be living in sexual integrity, but to be a person who no longer has a power differential within the relationship that I cherish. I love how you explain this hope and the spirit with which you explain it. You're not demonizing that person with the sex addiction or the infidelity issues. Um, it is, you have a very compassionate um, spirit about you in explaining it. Um, I'm just curious though, like so many addicts when they first, when their behaviors are first exposed are, are just completely drowning in their own shame, which is and which is part of why it's hard for them to have empathy for what they've done to their partner. How long do you typically see um, a, a sex addict who's in good recovery and is exposed to these concepts of betrayal violence and like the different aspects of that ABC abusive behavior and communication? How long does it take for them to typically really grasp and not just drown in their shame, but own and begin to want to repair? I know that's going to vary person to person, but. Yeah, it does. Essentially, I hear you asking, you know, can we talk about this right away, especially when somebody's in the throes of being caught and yes. they're disorganized in their recovery and they may not have all, all the willingness and gusto on board that they need yet to like, you know, stand upright and do this thing. Is that your question? Yeah, that's a great way to phrase it. <laughs> well, I would suggest that that is the time to introduce the concept. And I think what it does is it, the idea of breaking down what complex partner trauma looks like, aka the detriment that their behavior is causing, is not meant to add to the shame pile. It's meant to clarify and be realistic about what this journey that they're on, if they're restoring their relationship, is going to have to look like. Because these things that th these traumas, injuries, uh, and you know detriments that the, the partner has sustained are going to have to be addressed. And front and center, if the relationship is being worked on, very often you know there's this very compartmentalized way to address this, and it leaves the relationship off-center, and it really centers around the person who's got the problem. And so this is a non-pathologizing way to look at this, to say, uh, we're not going to call you a narcissist. We're not going to call you even a sex addict if you don't want. Those terms, you're free to use. You're free to apply them to yourself. But here's what we're talking about with betrayal violence. We're talking about the conduct. 
three things that you're doing simultaneously, perhaps for years, that are causing this kind of aftermath. And so let's look at this clinically, let's break it down. And, you know, when it's described in a way that, you know, at least I think I've been able to achieve in this magazine I've recently published, people digest it and they feel relief. That's been the feedback I've gotten. Relief to understand what the heck is going on. And so then what can they do about it? Like how can the person with the unwanted sexual behavior not just address their sexual behavior, their maladaptive sexual behavior, but these the ABC component? Yeah. So there is a whole structure of rehabilitation uh, that involves taking a look at maladaptive character traits that accompany this type of abusive behavior and communication, things like entitlement, regression, detachment. Uh, those aspects need to be inversed for, and replaced with things like empathy, integrity, right? There is rigorous honesty is another example of an inversed maladaptive character trait. And so what I've found is that there's a variety of diagnoses uh, that apply to people with this type of conduct. And there's no singular diagnosis that defines them all. So I like to leave diagnostics out of this. There's a variety of uh, other concerns like abuse histories or the type of family they grew up in uh, that, again, there's no universal prototype for the type of person who can commit betrayal violence. And so because of that, I like to just say, let's look at the conduct and let's figure out what belies this conduct. And across the board, I feel that there are maladaptive character traits, which I outline in my magazine. If those get attended to properly and skills um, get built in those areas of deficit, then there's a good chance with the willingness and hard work that the person can no longer return to their abusive behavior and communication. Yeah, I see that hope too. Um, that there can be change for the person with the unwanted sexual behavior, not just in their uh, breaking with the sexual behavior, but becoming a healthier whole adult person that's able to be a loving partner to their spouse. And I am so grateful for your work in this area, Hope. Thank you so much. I know you have a gift for our listeners. Can you share what that is? Yeah, you know, there's a poem I wrote that's included in my magazine that a lot of people like and a lot of people ask me about. And so I crafted for your listeners a little phone background that they can download that contains a clip of this poem, uh, just because I know a lot of folks resonate with it. I think I saw it on YouTube. I recently was looking at your channel and is it on there? The the full poem is yeah, yeah but yeah. this little freebie is just for your I'm listeners. So excited! Thank you. That is so great, you guys. We're going to put it in the show notes. So if you want Hope's gift, please go to our show notes, and you're going to find information about how to get that. Hey, if you have not already uh, rated and reviewed the Living Truth Podcast, would you take a moment to do that? That helps more people find us and get the hope that we are offering. Um, you guys, until the next episode, I am holding out hope for you and so great that I'm got I'm getting to interview Hope Ray as I say that. Thank you for being with us today, Hope. Thank you, Kristen. It's been a pleasure. <laughs>